what I have found is uh, when not doing this, you, you give an assignment to a kid and they either practice it or they don't. They practice it, they come back and they play it for you perfectly anyway. If they don't, they sound awful, but you move on to the next thing and you start leaving kids behind. It'd be like if a math teacher would give a math test, you get people to study, they get perfects, they go on, people who got Fs, they go on also, which is, right. that I call that uh, conveyor belt teaching. Everybody moves at the same pace and does the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, this is more of a flipped classroom where people go at their own pace. And if they don't master it, then they stay there until they master it. Yeah. That'd be like a math teacher giving a test. You fail it, but you get to take it again and you fail it and you get to take it again and you fail it. And then finally you study it and you understand it and you get an A+. Plus. Welcome to the third episode of the Coming Back Stronger series here on the Tenuto Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Lynch, and every single Tuesday, I'm going to be bringing you a new interview with somebody, asking them questions that are directly going to impact the way that I am teaching in the classroom, and my hope is that the things they share, they're also going to change the way you think, the way you prepare for next year. Um, this is all in response to our, our virtual year last year. My goal is I want to come back stronger. I want to be prepared. And I'm asking everybody I can questions on how I can get better at the things that I feel, you know, I can be doing a better job of teaching. Eric Combs is the guest on today's podcast. He was the 2020 Illinois State Teacher of the Year. And Eric was absolutely the perfect person for this summer series. I cannot tell you how much I learned from him. He has a bunch of free materials. They are all on my website, uh, www.tenutopodcast.com. Check it out. Click on the Eric Combs interview. All the links that he references in the video are there. Um, Eric does a lot of revolutionary things, new ideas that I'm so glad I learned from him. I want you guys to listen to this interview, and we're going to get to the interview in a second, but I want to just say before we get there, please, if you can, try to listen to the whole thing, because at the end of the interview, you know, we say goodbye, I'm like, okay, that was great, and in a normal interview, it's like, you know, it's kind of awkward, it's like, I stop recording, and then we're like, okay, so is that it, yeah, that's it, Um, (laughs) but with Eric, you know, we were like, all right, that's it, and then we continued talking and some of the things we talked about were so amazing that I just felt like I had to leave it in. So there's a little snippet at the end that's, you know, it's genuine. It's me and Eric actually talking about, you know, the things that he was talking about and and how we implement them. And then he talks a little bit about, you'll just listen, you'll see. Um, But here we go. This is Eric Combs, the 2020 Illinois State Teacher of the Year. Like I said, you can find all of his materials on my website or just search Eric Combs Band Director and I'm sure you'll find it. Here he is, Eric Combs. All right, so we now welcome on someone who has been all over my computer screen over the past month. This is Eric Combs. He's the 2020 Illinois State Teacher of the Year. Eric has all his materials online through his website, banddirectorsshare.com, and doesn't ask for anything in return. The one thing you can do, if you feel inclined, is donate to the the IMI Orphanage Band in Honduras. The link to that donation page 
will be in the episode description. Um, Eric, could you tell us a little bit about how you got connected with that organization? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm friends with the guy who owns the orphanage, uh, Tom Stammen. Oh, wow. And he and I were talking, uh, I don't know, three years ago. Uh, and he was he was just telling me that this orphanage, they've got 70 students and they've got about 70 instruments that have been donated. And he said, how do I teach these kids how to play? Um, and he was he was he, really he was looking for me to give him some ideas on teaching tips. And I said, you got to have a band director. You can't just have some somebody just go in there and do that. And he said, well, yeah. that's going to cost such and such a month to get a full time band director. And I said, well, then why don't we just arrange for you to get a full time band director? And that's what we did. Wow. That's incredible. That's it's such an incredible story. And, and I just love that, you know, you don't ask for anything in return. It's, it's kind of crazy, but it seems like people have been donating, you know, a lot to this website, which is which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was an author a couple of years ago, and I, and I was talking to him about publishing and how much money that people make off of books. And he said, you don't make anything as a publisher. He said, really, the reason that you, you publish something is to get your ideas out there. It's not to get rich. And I kind of had this moment to myself a couple of years ago where I was thinking, you know what, this stuff's probably going to be disseminated better if it's just free <laughs> and then the people can use it and have better access to it. So um, so I'm, I'm in it to share ideas and any any side money that can be made off of it, I think it's great that the, the kids there in the orphanage get a chance to benefit from it. Yeah. So, Eric. I think you're incredible. I stumbled across the band directors share website about a month ago. So towards the end of this year. And I think I've told every single one of my friends about it since I found it. I'm obsessed with it. Um, and one of the things that I'm most obsessed with is your sequence for teaching rhythm, mm -hmm. because my whole career and it's I mean, it's not a long career. I've been teaching five full years, um, but I am the guy who you reference in your video, who's been teaching it backwards his whole his whole year. And you talk about this part where you have this 10 minute rant on it's the most important rant in the world or something to me. And I just related so much to that video that you uh, made. And do you think you could talk a little bit about your sequence for teaching rhythm? Sure. And I want to start with a disclaimer that I as with all ideas, it's stuff that I've stolen from other people and I've used in my own classroom. So the bulk of this comes from David Newell. He has a book out called Teaching Rhythm. And after reading this book, I became friends with, with David Newell and have had many conversations with him. And, and he actually consulted with me when making the videos because I wanted to make sure that okay. it matched what he had to say. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to give him the credit for it. Um, but yeah, I, you say that you are the person that I was referencing. I was the person also. I mean, I think all of us, whenever we first start teaching, um, and and some people <laughs> their entire career teaching, is uh, you get a new, I always use 16th notes as a, as a reference. You get a new rhythm like, say, 16th notes. Um, the very first thing that we do is we open up our, our method books to the page that has 16th notes, and, and we say, okay, everybody turn this page, look at this, this is what it looks like, draw it on the board. And then there's this, uh, like you said, this 10 minute lecture on this is what it is. There's two bars, you know, there's four notes. We divide it that way because that's one beat. And if you if you put 16 of these, you can see that that's one measure. That's why we call them 16th notes. What you're going to do, kids, is you're going to put four of these in each beat. So I'm going to get a beat going like this and you're going to put four of them in there. And then it just sounds awful. 
It yeah. never sounds good. And we always wonder as teachers, why doesn't it sound good? I just, I explained this for 10 minutes. So I can't hear it. And then what happens is we run out of time. The class period's over with. So what does a good teacher do? Any good teacher then gives an assignment, you know, it's like, all right, there, there's this song right here. I want you to go practice it on your own. And you're going to practice this and you're going to come back next week and you're going to be a master of it just because I gave you a great lecture. You can figure this out on your own. Just put four of them in a beat. They come back the next week and they sound worse than they did in class. <laughs> I think everybody listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So then there's this vicious cycle where you have to reteach it. And eventually what you end up doing is you end up singing it to them and just saying, copy me. And as teachers, we think, well, that's the worst thing we could possibly do. I'm teaching it to them by rote. And, and it becomes a vicious cycle that goes on week for week. The entire time that we have Mike, I teach six, seven, eighth grade. So it'd be like a three year cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can just so much relate to everything that you just said. And my, you know, I've been thinking like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, uh, and I stumbled across your sequence where it's basically the opposite of that. Right. I mean, yeah. you start with just it's, you, you reference it like teaching them to speak. Um, you start with babbling and then could you kind of go into detail a little bit? Yeah. And, and I'll give you the background of this train of thought. Of course, I, I stole it from David Newell. David Newell stole it from Edwin Gordon. Edwin right. Gordon, uh, has a lot of you are familiar with him. has the music learning theory, which is basically uh, sound before sight. So this system is completely backwards from the way that most people do this. And the very first thing is sound. Um, the, the, I would say the wrong way, the backwards way to do it would be to end with, okay, everything failed. My explanation failed. Me showing it to him failed. So why don't you just, I'm going to show you what it sounds like and you're going to copy me. Now that's where, that's where we should start as uh, music teachers. Um, so you mentioned learning to speak. So let's talk about how people learn to speak because that's the natural way that we learn things. It's where our brains are geared. As a baby that's brought into the world, they spend several months just listening and the stuff they're listening to at first doesn't make any sense, but they get the they get the idea of what this stuff sounds like, and they process it. And eventually, over time, kids start um, really understanding what they're hearing before they actually start speaking at all. They, when they start speaking, it's just babbling. We don't understand what they're saying. Um, this goes on for a year. Finally, after, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 months, kids start saying stuff that makes sense. Mama, dada, that's a dog, cat, that kind of yeah. thing. Individual words. But they really become fluent. And as a parent of two, I, I know that sometimes they become fluent. And you wonder where, where on earth did all this come from that I'm listening to? <laughs> you know? uh, and then, and then we got a, pretty soon you got a three-year-old kid who's talking your ear off, can't read a, a single letter, but they're really fluent in talking. So right. then the next step is where school comes in. You teach them the alphabet and they can recite the alphabet. They know the individual letters. They can put them together into small words. You take those words that they know, like cat or dog or bat, and you show them what those little things look like and they can make associations. But the point of this is they already know how to do it. They physically can make the words. They understand it, but they're starting to see symbols, uh, which is a pretty abstract thing, the, the written word. That's the last thing that happens. They see what it looks like and they can make those connections. Yeah. Um, now, you go on further from that, kids start to learn how to read the words. They can read the sentences. The very final thing they start doing is they learn how to do it themselves, how to compose it, how to write it, the structure of it. Yeah. What we do is backwards. We teach them the written 
the most abstract thing the very first. And then we're going to go backwards and we're going to say, okay, now I want you to eventually make this physical thing. And it's just too much for somebody to process for anybody to process. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and this, uh, you know, you know, like I said, I, I stumbled across this the last month of teaching. So, so it's been, you know, I have been, I did implement it. Now I'm on summer break, but you know, I'm just so excited for next year because I just want to, uh, I'm so excited to, to start doing this. And I mean, have you noticed a difference when, when you switched to this way of teaching? Yes. Um, I got to tell you, I was extremely leery of doing it at first. Theoretically, yeah. it all makes sense to me, but I, of course, now I'm going into my 17th year of teaching, but there for several years at the beginning, um, we had a concert coming up. The kids had to play this music for a concert. Um, I talked to the director before me and the kids were playing this grade three, three and a half music. And I knew that I had to do something at that level. But when I get to see the kids, I see that they're struggling to play grade one music. How am I going to get them to play three and a half music? Well, what I did first few years is probably what a lot of people do is I gave them this hard music because they had to perform it. And then we learned it by rote. Okay. I, I'm teaching, I'm teaching notes and teaching fingering, yeah. teaching rhythms, telling everybody how it goes. You get this big question of how does it go? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you end up teaching two songs for a half a year and that's all you do. So I had this idea one year, several years ago that I'm going to do it differently. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach all the fundamentals. Uh, specifically, I'm going to teach chromatic scales so the kids know uh, all of their fingerings and going up, this chromatic scale is going to be in sharps, going down, it's going to be in flats. That covers every inharmonic spelling. I'm going to have the kids master that. They're going to memorize it. They're going to be able to recognize any of the notes. If I say, hey, can you play an A sharp for me? They're going to immediately know it's a B flat. Um, and I'm going to have them really, we're going to drill rhythms the way that I was just talking to you about. And I'd like to go into a little more detail on that in just a moment, but. I ain't really give the sequence of how to do it, but um, so there are two major things there, chromatic skills and rhythms. Theoretically, if somebody knows how to sight read rhythms and they know all of their fingerings, they don't have to think about it. Theoretically, they can play anything. And I know that sounds easier <laughs> than, than what we know it is. Oh. So my thought was if I could drill this into them and they could really sight read rhythms and they could really sight read and they, and they knew their chromatic skill, we should be able to play a ton of music. But I was scared because I thought if I spend all the time doing that, will we be able to play grade level three music by the end of the year? And I thought, well, the only way to know it is to actually just try it. So for yeah. one year, I did it. We didn't even pull out the music for the concert for a long time. And we just started sight reading, sight reading, sight reading, sight reading. And you know what? By the end of the year, the kids were playing harder than grade three and a half level music. And the, here's the kicker. Um, it would only take them a couple of weeks to, to put it together. Because wow. what we could do, and I never heard the question anymore, how does this go? It just, that's a question that I don't hear. Yeah, that's amazing. So what we do is we'll take something like a square engine piece that's a grade three, three and a half, and I'll put it in front of them. We'll sight read through the entire thing without stopping. Everybody's in the right place at the right time because they can read rhythms. Um, of course, it doesn't maybe sound musical, but they right. got nuts and bolts of it. And I'd yes. like, kids, here's the overview of it. Um, you know how to play it. Now what I want to do is I want to spend the next two weeks and we're going to be talking about uh, balance and blend and musicianship, expression, where you're going to breathe, when, when you're going to bring your part out. And it really becomes more about the music and it never, ever again is about how does it go. Yeah. So it's one of those things you just have to try for yourself to and get over the fear of it. But right. 
but I'll never yeah. ever go back. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's very cool. And and what a brave like first step to be like, well, I'm just going to try this. We'll see what happens. And man, did it work out. And now you're just I love that you're just sharing this with with everybody. I mean, you don't have to pay for anything. It's, it's very cool that you're just so open with this. It's not like a secret that you're keeping to yourself. It's like, hey, maybe you guys can try it another way. Yeah. And and I want to tell you, people, you, I'm sure you'll put a link to this in your uh, in the bottom of the podcast here. But um, I'll, I'll say it here that if you go to tinyurl.com slash Eric Combs, E-R-I-C-C-O-M-B-S, uh, you'll find a link for all of my materials. Um, I've written a book about my my curriculum. Uh, it's a pass off system to where I've taken uh, and I've done this for essential elements. and I've done it for tradition of excellence. And it, I'm excited about tradition of excellence because Bruce Pearson actually helped me write yeah. this book and helped pick out some of the. Um, wow. The, the points. That we're oh, gonna... that's really cool. Wow. Um, so it's about a 110 page book, but it lays out the whole method of the way that I do this. Um, I've got 10 ranks that each have 10 points in them. They come from the method books. You can use my points or you can come up with your own for whatever your materials are. Um, My wife's a band director also. She's looking into doing this for sound innovations. Okay. Um, But it's easily adaptable. And it's kind of like recorder karate on steroids (laughs) where the kids (laughs) have to, uh, they have to play the points perfectly. Um, by that perfect rhythm, um, perfect notes, no mistakes there. And if they do, they pass it off, which sounds easy enough. But what I have found is uh, when not doing this, you, you give an assignment to a kid and they either practice it or they don't. If they practice it, they come back and they play it for you perfectly anyway. If they don't, they sound awful, but you move on to the next thing and you start leaving kids behind. It would be like if a math teacher would give a math test, you get people to study, they get perfects. They go on, people who got Fs, they go on also, which is, right. a huge, I call that uh, conveyor belt teaching. Everybody moves at the same pace and does the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, this is more of a flipped classroom where people go at their own pace. And if they don't master it, then they stay there until they master it. Yeah. That'd be like a math teacher giving a test. You fail it, but you get to take it again and you fail it and you get to take it again and you fail it. And then finally you study it and you understand it and you get an A plus and you get to move on. Right. At your pace. But it leads to mastery and the kids realize what they did wrong. Maybe they didn't play the eighth notes correctly. And then they, they really work on perfecting that and they go on. And um, I found that that really leads to sight reading proficiency, um, just being really awesome at it. And at this point, um, I've talked to hundreds of other teachers that are doing this same program. And they all say that it leads to sight reading proficiency also. Yeah. Um, so what I, then what I do is... The number of points correlates to a grade. So uh, a kid knows if they don't do anything, they're going to get enough. And they can see it right in, in their booklet or, or spreadsheet or whatever that you give them. So they, they always know where they stand with you in your class. Exactly. And then yeah. you can justify your grades. And then it's never about did they bring their instrument, did they bring a pencil, that kind of thing. Justification for grades. Now, I will yeah. dock them a letter grade if they don't come to performance. And they know that. And they're not going to be able to make it up <laughs> unless there is unless there was really good reason. Yeah. Um, but it also, it's how they get their chair test at seating. There is no chair test. Whoever has the most number of points is the section leader. And right. so, um, 
Now I've created a computer program, tracking program for all of this, that graphs out and shows everybody where they are in relation to the rest of the band, where they should be. It shows what grades they have, prints off midterms for kids. Um, you can use it. It's amazing. It's uh, If you're an Excel like person, this is insane. Very, very cool. Hi, hi. I don't know. It sounds like it took you a really long time to make, but uh, it really, it really is amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a little, over, it was a little over a hundred hours to make, it. Um, <laughs> but it has saved me so much time. Right. Really you put the great. hours in up front, and now you, it kind of runs itself. Is what you said in a video on your, you know, somewhere yeah. I saw. <laughs> so, so that. That program is out there for free if anybody wants to use it. And anybody, I, so I, made, I, have, a, I have a question about that program. Yeah. So, so you take um, you take your students out into small group lessons, right? Yeah. And that's that's uh, I mean that sounds amazing. I, that's what I grew up on. Um, I'm in a little bit of a different situation here in Virginia, where my my classes are you know half brass percussion and half woodwind, and I see the brass percussions, you know, eighth grade brass, seventh grade brass, sixth grade brass on x day and i see the woodwinds on y day mm -hmm. um do you think that this kind of system would work in this setting i have had that question i don't know at least 100 times and okay and there have been teachers who have gone on to do it um yeah i've had success with it I, now i will i will say that it's a whole lot easier whenever you have private lessons sure, sure, um, sure. And, and i i, I developed this for myself around private lessons but people have adapted it and, and i'll tell you the adaptations they've made um, number uh, first and foremost, you have to have a time for kids to play off assignments. Yeah. So I have seen that done multiple ways. Um, the high school here where I teach in my district, they uh, have five or six practice rooms that each have a Chromebook. And of course they have hour and 20 minute classes. So every kid once every two weeks has a chance to move out of the ensemble into a practice room, yeah. play with smart music and pass out the requirements with smart music. Now, those kids also have smart music subscriptions at home, so they could theoretically do it at home. Right. Some right. of the kids do, some of them don't. Uh, the kids who want to move farther up in the section, they can do it at home, and they can pass it off. <laughs> um, and I have found, I love smart music. Um, I've, I've had years where I've had all my kids have smart music subscriptions. Worked great last year with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I found that they might play something perfectly, and as a beginner, it tells them they didn't. Just, right. Maybe they're just completely out of tune. Sure. Um, so what I tell them is, if you think that you if you think that you were perfect, send me the recording and I'll tell you if you were or not. Even a smart music yeah. does so. But it doesn't have to be smart music. It'd be a, a phone with a camera. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I, that's one of the good things that's come out of this virtual year. I don't know um, if you used one of these systems, but we used Canvas, where you can kind of give assignments and and. I plan on using that next year. And I think that if I were to implement this system, I mean, I could just have all the assignments up on Canvas. This is rank one. This is rank two. You go pass them off, you know, online. Um, yeah. And my wife, like I say, teaches a beginner band. She has been doing something that's awesome that she's ahead of me on. She uses Flipgrid. She records oh. herself doing two things for each point. Number one, just playing the point. Number two, a little short video explaining it. And that might be different for the clarinet players than it is for the flute players saying, hey, clarinet players, we're going to go over the break on this. And here's some tips on how to do that. And it creates a flipped classroom for band, flipped classroom, meaning that the kids can go at their own pace, but they can also get the instruction um, just as they want to pull it up on their computer. Yeah. Uh, so that way they don't have to wait on me to explain how something happens. They can just go to the computer and see me explain how it happens.
That's really cool. I like, I love what you said about conveyor belt teaching because you know, that's a, that's a real thing. And I love how this kind of takes, takes that out of the equation and you're really just teaching, you know, giving it's differentiation, right? I mean, yeah. Differentiation that's self-paced. Yeah. Kids are, the kids are always working on something that's at their level. And I have found that there have been kids, uh, my, the number one <laughs> example I can use is a kid who's uh, loved to practice all the time in his first year passed all three books of essential elements by Christmas. And then he got bored. So we decided he did it on three instruments. <laughs> he passed Unreal. all three. On three <laughs> instruments. Um, so that is, that is something, of course, that's the one kid. Uh, that is something that isn't possible if you're moving everybody through their own pace. And what you get is kids like that who can rip through Mary Had a Little Lamb really fast because you assign it to them, but they play it over and over and over because you haven't given them another assignment yet. Yeah. I give yeah. them all 100 of their assignments on day one. That's brilliant. Go through it on your own pace. Uh, so back to your question about not having the individual lessons. Uh, I do allow kids to come in before school. I've, sure. got some yeah. kids, I've had homeless kids in my in my program before. Um, of course, they're in foster homes. They might, they might be in trailers. Uh, apartments can't play. All right. Yeah. Um, so I open up my classroom when the bell rings, which is 745 in the morning. Class starts at 810. So they were talking 25 minutes every morning. These kids can come in. Some will come in every single day. And I tell those kids, you do not have to practice at home. Don't take your instrument home. Mm -hmm. You're getting two hours of practice a week here before school. As long as you right. come and sit in my classroom and you're practicing on some, something that you want to, that's maybe the music that we're playing in class or some of our points, there is no required practice time. I don't do practice logs. The only thing that I found that practice logs do, do is they make liars out of everybody, except for the honest kids who end up getting F's. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the kid becomes a liar. The parent becomes a liar. I become exactly. a liar. That's the kids that if you, uh, if you don't turn this in, I'm going to fail you, but then I don't. I give them a B instead. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what I tell the kids is your required amount of practice time is however much practice it takes to pass the point that I assigned to you. And I'll give them one or two a week. Um, if the kid comes and they can't do it, they're going to be reassigned. Um, eventually, their grade gets lower because they don't have the required number of points passed. Um, but I have found that the kids who do really well aren't limited by the A+. They'll keep on yeah. going anyway. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never had a problem of a kid just working really hard to get an A+, and then just stopping. And I've been doing this for eight years now. It just yeah. doesn't happen. If they're going to do that, they're going to do it. Um, so anyway, yeah. If it takes wow. a kid five minutes to learn their their lesson, they've mastered that concept because every point has a different concept, whether it be a new rhythm, new expression, new um, articulation. Once they've mastered that, they're done. It would be ridiculous if a math teacher were to say, hey, we're going to do a multiplication table tomorrow, I'm talking to sixth graders, and we're doing from one to nine. All right. Everybody's like, I already know that. But I'm not grading you on whether you know it or not. I'm going to grade you on how long you practice it. So the really smart kids, you know how to do it. You're like, all right, I got to fill out this log saying I practiced this for two hours, and they don't do it. Right. They've got it mastered, but they didn't practice at all. Are you going to give them an F? No. Yeah. What That's you need a... to do is give them something harder. Such a good point. That's such a good point. Yeah, and uh, I love those little things. I don't know. Your uh, your analogies are very good. Um, the the one about and harmonics with the house on the right and house on the left. You know, I had a private lesson with a student before we, we did this interview and I, I told him that analogy and he was like, that makes so much sense to me. And it's like, yeah, that's, um, but, yeah. but 
Yeah, Eric, so back to you were talking about Flipgrid, and I think that's such a cool idea that your wife is doing. Um, and it's something, it brought up something in my head that I read in your book about QR codes. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about like your innovation there with putting QR codes in your scores and even in some of your students' music, right? Yeah, um, and I and I put it in, I put it on the uh, district audition music as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So, with district audition music, the the kids that, that's typically music that's a little bit above their heads, um, and they they work really well whenever they're able to sit and play it with a teacher, and it's the type of thing where. Uh, it would it would be beneficial to them to be able to hear it. So what I do is I will I will make recordings of those and I'll just what I've done is I've uploaded them to the internet and of course you upload anything to the internet you have a URL for it and I go to tinyurl.com which is a free uh, service that'll just make a uh, I'm not tinyurl.com um, it's a QR code reader is what it is Google QR code reader and generator and you you put a URL in there. It'll come up with a um, QR code. I just cut those out. Is that the bell at school? Yeah, it's the bell at school. Okay. <laughs> I have horrible internet at home, so I'm at school. Uh, so I'll cut out those little QR codes and I'll paste them in their music. And what, I'll put one at the top that just has the whole song so they can listen to it. And mainly it'll be a thing that they can listen to. Is, is what I'm playing sound like that? And if not, yeah. why not? Um, and then I'll, I'll make one that starts at every line. All right. Yeah. So like they want to listen to the whole thing. I'm going to go down to line five, scan it. And all they got to do is point their smartphone at it and it plays it for me. And then I had the idea, why don't I put this in my scores? Because I've got um, I've got some wireless speakers up in the front of the room that work on Bluetooth. And, you know, I, I have been taught in the past that it's not a good idea to play music to the kids. Instead, just let them figure it out on their own. I totally hate that. I hate that advice. I hate that advice. And I hate the advice of don't let them tune with the tuner. Um, talk about that in a minute but because of what we were talking about the, the learning sequence you can't learn what symbols mean until you know what it sounds like so we, yeah. we do a lot by sound and then associating that to the symbol so i might want the kids to hear what the blend on some part sounds like it's some measure 110. so you can either listen to the recording from the beginning or spend time in your 30-minute class trying to find that on your computer i just put a little qr code in there that starts right at that measure and it takes about five seconds to pull up. And so if I know that I want the kids to hear measure 110, I'll be like, hey, everybody, look at measure 110. While I'm doing that, I'm pulling up my camera and immediately yeah. boom, it plays for them. So you can kind of pull up any music from any point that way. It's and, just, yeah. Oh, sorry. You can continue. I was going to say that also, I have taught marching band in the past. And if I was teaching marching band now, I would do this in an instant because you use audacity where you can edit it and you can put one, two, ready, march at the beginning of that. This yeah. yeah. Put that on a uh, drill chart. Say you want the kids to be standing in uh, chart nine and you want them to march chart 10. All you got to do is scan it. It comes over. They're there. One, two, ready, march. And the kids can march to their next drill set and it'll play exactly from that point. That's so brilliant. Yeah, it's so innovative. I love it. Um, but you brought up tuners there for a second. Can you talk uh, about your your experience with tuners? You know, from the videos I've seen, it looks like every student in your room has a tuner on their stand. Yeah, we're talking $22, $23. Right. And so they're the red ones that just clip on, right? Yeah, little snark yeah. tuners. Yeah. Um, 
so several years ago, I, we had some grant money. And I thought, you know what? My, my class period is 30 minutes long. I, I hate taking the time to tune. Um, what, wouldn't it be nice if we could just all use one of these and it would only take 10 seconds? But then in the back of my head, I'm thinking, people, people say this is a bad thing. They should learn how to tune by ear. Well, I'm going to save time. I'm going to do it. And I wasn't expecting intonation to like dramatically get better. The ability for kids to play in tune to dramatically get better. But it did. It was a byproduct. And what I found was beginners play so horribly out of tune <laughs> that they don't know what intonate, good intonation sounds like. And you can talk to them about it all you want till you're blue in the face. I have found some of the best teaching lessons is, involves no talking whatsoever. But you get the entire fifth or sixth grade band in tune and they're like, whoa, that's what that sounds like. And then what I do is I once once I teach them how to use the tuner, how to get them in tune, what what the different symbols mean on it, then I have all of them get as far out of tune as they can. Some of them sharp, some of them flat. Let them hear what that sounds like, and it sounds awful. And the kids laugh; they think it's hilarious. And then I say, okay, put it back in tune, and they can hear it. At that point, they know what intonation sounds like, and they hate being out of tune, so they'll use their tuner to fine tune it. But I'm all the time after that teaching them about beats I, I, from the beginning. I don't know why they don't on all summer. They turn it off during the summer. But from, from the very beginning, I'm teaching them what beats are, what um, what is actually happening with the sound waves. And we do demonstrations of making the beats come in and go away. You know, yeah. And they, they learn that. And they know what why it's doing it. And, and then we talk about how playing one one note in tune doesn't mean the rest of the instruments can be in tune and we listen for beats after that but yeah man intonation got so much better after we all were using our own tuners and i saved so much time so it really did help wow yeah and and I, i'm sure it helps having it in in the front of their head you know right away as soon as they can play you know with a what like a decent enough tone right i mean or do you have them playing with the tuners like from day one I wait until they're able to play with a good steady tone. Okay. Yeah. The, the tuner doesn't really do any good whatsoever if kid sounds honky or black. Right. Yeah. Um, but so it's different for each kid. Um, some kids from the very beginning have a great sound on day one and they can learn what a tuner is. Some kids it takes them a half a year. But yeah. by, the, by, by about Christmas, I have everybody doing that every day. And I have found that with beginners, a great way to teach anything is to have them do it completely wrong. And they enjoy doing that. Say it like, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, like uh, balance and blend is a huge thing that I talk about from day one. Um, because I'm having all these kids go through these points individually, and I do it for nine weeks. We don't have full band until October, so everybody is going through these points to where they're mastering these different concepts. But then, whenever band starts on day one, we start back on page one or page four on essential elements, which is the first thing. Sure. And every kid in there knows how to do it. So we're not talking about what the fingerings are, or the rhythm for it is what we're doing is we're talking about starting together, stopping together, breathing together, and having good balance and blend from the very first note that we play. And really a lot of what we do out of the book as a full group, since everybody is a past that point on their own, has nothing to do with how it goes. It has to do with how do we make it sound good. Mm. and uh, I found that a lot of people cut off. They, they might start together, but they don't end together. So we, we talk about playing through beat four into beat one and listening for the end to make sure that we all stop together. But we also talk about how playing in, in a band, and I do this from week one, uh, playing in the band is a lot like painting a picture. Um, 
whenever you whenever you put a bunch of different colors together, what you get is one uniform color. You don't want to have a whole bunch of different colors sticking out <laughs> on a canvas. So we don't want to hear every individual person. And really, the goal isn't to play so loud that we hear you. We want you to play quiet enough that we don't hear you. We want you all to blend into one sound. And then we always talk about trying to play in such a way that you're playing quieter than the person beside you. Yeah. I'm talking with very beginners here, and I, they get such good sound that way. Um, but then I have them do the opposite. <laughs> so now I want you to play with horrible sound. And they blast, and they love it, but they, they can hear the extremes. Same thing works with something like um, day crescendos. All right, I want you to get down there so quiet that we can't hear you, but I want one or two people in the band to be our guinea pigs here, and I want you to just blast and crescendo through it. And the kids get a kick out of that because they get everybody doing the right thing and they're really focused on doing the right thing. And then somebody yeah. listening to this other person's doing the wrong thing. Like the band didn't sound like a day crescendo, did it? It's because we had somebody doing the wrong thing. Kids like right. doing the wrong thing and it works for them. Yeah. And it helps them learn. I think that's amazing. I think that's really, really special. Eric, I've got one final question for you, then I'm going to let you go. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry I've kept you so long here, but this has been incredible. And Eric, I've been looking forward to this interview like for a long time. So I'm really, really glad you came on. Um, my final question here is, uh, do you plan on starting next year differently than you would start a normal school year just because of the unique COVID year that we are coming off of? Um, as far as my beginners, absolutely not, because they're going to be coming in fresh. Yeah. Um, since my program is geared towards moving everybody at their own pace, what has happened with me and with everybody is that pace has been slower this year just because of sure. class time and the remote teaching that's going on so um what i plan on doing is similar to what i do everywhere here which is putting the classroom music in front of them based on the level that they're at because i keep all that tracked i know where every i know how many points every kid's passed i know what they can and can't do what that does mean though is that the music is going to be easier at the beginning of the year because it's yeah. still going to be their own spot so i guess it's similar that it's geared towards their level but it's different in that that level is down lower sure yeah and i i bet that this rank system was was pretty helpful during this this year yeah um you know i i was wishing that i had seen this this at the beginning of the year so everybody could go at their own pace because you know a, a little bit i do feel like i was conveyor belt teaching in a way in a year that i really shouldn't have been you know in a year where it could have been much more innovative and and i think that you know that's something that we're going to learn from this year and, and we're going to innovate as band directors um and i think there could be some positives that come out of this year for sure um but eric man thank you so much for doing this um thank you again I'm, I'm, i'll make this really short one thing that i didn't talk about that that i told said earlier in the interview that we we're going to talk about oh, yeah, yeah rhythm and 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 that's a long topic so we're not going to talk about it right now but i will say that people will go to that website uh, tiny yeah URL slash Eric Combs. There's there's three videos in there that it's about an hour and a half talking, showing classroom footage of how to teach rhythm in this manner that leads to um, just competency in, in uh, sight reading. Yeah. And I'm going to put all this stuff uh, in the description and I'll put it on my website with the, the podcast um, so people can go and watch it and, and get all your materials. Um, but yeah, Eric, thanks so much. Um, and, and yeah, maybe we'll have you back on at some point because I feel like I could just talk to you about so, so much more. Um, so, so thank you, you so much. Good. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Have a good summer. You too, Eric. Um, I, I think something 
I wish I had touched on. I mean, something that's really cool about you is your in your program, just from your books. I, I know like your demographics, you're in a you're in a very rural area, um, you know, 67% poverty, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's just I'm I'm in a similar situation over here and it's just, you know, it's really inspiring and incredible. That the uh, the assembly line thing that we're talking about, the conveyor belt, is yeah. uh, that's something that really hurts schools like ours because and I did I did um, a research project on this for my master's in music ed and what I found was the uh, the kids who were borrowing instruments were the top or the bottom twelve performers in my class and the top yeah. ten were all had instruments of their own nothing against them. Um, it was really my system of teaching because yeah. if, if you teach the rich kids the same way they teach the poor kids, the rich kids have more opportunity and they're going to end up better and the poor kids are going to drop out because they find out they're not as good as that. That was what we found in the research. They, find, they think they're not as good as the richer kids and they drop out. Hmm. So this lets them do their own thing, even though they don't have a house to practice in, you know. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and that is a wrap on Eric Holmes. Thank you again so much, Eric, for coming on the show. I'm looking forward to our next episode next week featuring Randall Standridge, the composer, the conductor. He does it all. We're going to dive into programming for your next concerts next year. Be sure to check it out next Tuesday, and everybody have a wonderful week.